Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 50 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone is having a great week out there. This is episode 50. We've made it to 50. It's been a while since we've celebrated a milestone. So I'm going to wax on poetic here for a couple of minutes, but we will get to the movie in just a couple of minutes. But I'm going to go a little long in the front part because it's episode 50 and we've made it this far. And I did last week promise you a big announcement, which I will get to in a minute. Um, I'm very proud of this show. I mentioned a month ago when we celebrated our one-year anniversary that I kind of wished that, you know, I hadn't fallen behind in some episodes and that this was supposed to coincide with that one-year anniversary to make it an even bigger event. But things play out the way that they play out. But what could I possibly be announcing for our big 50th anniversary? Well, I'm starting a Patreon. No, not really. Uh, While I have entertained the thought of starting a Patreon, I I really don't know what I would offer in the way of bonus content, and until I figure that out, I don't see there's a point in starting any kind of Patreon. So if you have any ideas, feel free to reach out and let me know what you think might be good, but that's not what I'm here to announce. So since its inception, this show has, has stayed pretty much the same. And I'm pretty proud of it. I appeared on an episode recently of Mike Seibert Radio, episode 292. And in that conversation, I kind of unveiled a little bit behind the curtain of where this show came from. It came from me listening to movie podcasts, some which I really like and some of which I thought, well, I can do better than that. And I have done better than that. So I should get back to podcasting. And I combined that with a podcast called Beautiful Anonymous, where the host, Chris Gethard, has an anonymous person on every week and they just have an hour-long conversation. And I thought, rather than just have somebody on to have a conversation with, why don't we talk about a movie? And that's kind of where this idea came from. So the idea being that each week I would have a guest on, somebody maybe I don't even really know that well, and we would talk about a movie of their choosing. And as I talked about on Mike Cyber Radio, uh, you know, I, I had to do a little bit of coordination up ahead because I've got to be able to see the movie uh, ahead of time for us to be able to discuss it. But the idea is, you know, each week is a new guest. And we've done that. 50 episodes, 50 guests. And there's other elements of the show that have been there pretty much since the beginning. Uh, You know, the pop quiz at the end and the the algorithm says. uh, Those are elements that from time to time I've thought about changing. I didn't like the idea of the guest ending on a not-so-happy note if they didn't do well on the pop quiz, for instance. But I've heard from people, even people who didn't do well on the quiz, that they really enjoy it, so it stayed. I wondered if maybe the algorithm says kind of drags the show down, but I've heard from so many people that they enjoy that part as kind of the lightning round of other movies. Movies that it stayed. But there's one aspect of the show that I kind of want to change. So I've said from the very beginning, one of the things I really like about movies is they unite us. And if you go to a party and you meet a stranger, you can strike up a conversation about a movie that you've both seen and have a wonderful conversation with this person you barely even know. But sometimes, maybe that's not the end of the conversation. Maybe you actually build up a good friendship based on that conversation and get to know the person a little better and and become friends. And then you continue having conversations about movies. And that has certainly happened with me over the course of the last 50 episodes. Sure, I've had guests on who were my friends ahead of time that I absolutely love talking about movies with, like 
Thomas Mariani or Drew Meyer, you know, people I really enjoy talking about movies with. But I've met some other people that I've had some fascinating conversations with that I, I hate the idea that I won't get to talk with them again. But the rules have always said no repeat guests. 50 episodes, 50 different guests. And I think it's time to change that. I think it's time to let me have some really awesome conversations with people I've already had on the show about new movies. So that's what I'm doing is I am opening the door for repeat guests. And that's the big announcement is guests can come back on. Now, I still will space them out so it doesn't become just me and somebody else talking all the time. But... Uh, I, I will let guests come back on. In fact, I've already recorded a couple of interviews with some former guests that will be playing in the future. I still will mix in new guests as well, so it won't just become the same 50 people you've heard from before. We'll get some new blood in here as well. But every couple of months, you might rehear a guest that you've, I've had on before. Hopefully, there'll be a guest you like. I know that there have been several guests that when they've come on, people have said, you need to have that person back on the show. Heck, when I had my dad on... My girlfriend said it should just be you and him all the time. So you can expect I will be having him back on as well. So if there's a guest that you'd like to see come back on the show, reach out and let me know. You know how you can get in touch with me. The information's at the end of the episode as well. But I'm really excited to be getting to have second conversations with some of these people. And I hope you enjoy our conversations in the future as well. So 50 episodes down, here's to at least another 50 more. Obviously, I want to keep going beyond that, but it sounded like the right thing to say. So let's get to this week's movie. And it's interesting that I just mentioned appearing on Mike's Seibert Radio episode 292 because our guest this week is Mike Seibert and he picked 1986's The Transformers The Movie. Now, this is not one of the Michael Bay pieces of not so good movies that, you know, you've heard us bash a little bit here or there over the course of the last 50 episodes. This is the original animated movie that tied into the Transformers series. And one of the things we will talk about is I do not have much back knowledge of Transformers as an animated series, and I had never seen this movie before, but Mike is a pro. He loves the Transformers, and his passion for this subject bleeds through the episode. It's a fantastic conversation about a movie that I didn't really like that much, but really enjoyed talking about. So here we go, 1986's The Transformers, The Movie, with Mike Seibert from Mike Seibert Radio. All right, so uh, to start this off, I have to say to you, Ba Weep Grana Weep Ninny Bong. Oh, you got it right. Ba Weep <laughs> Grana Weep Ninny Bong. I, I offer you an Energon goodie. <laughs> I'm out. I'm sorry. I, I ran out. <laughs> That's awesome. We usually take a minute before we jump into the movie um, just to get some background on you, some context, that kind of thing. But I kind of almost have to start with the movie. What kind of a, a kid? Because I was like a G.I. Joe kid, so I okay. didn't really know the Transformers. Where were you as far as like the kids' interest, the kids' toys, that kind of stuff? Well, see, it's interesting to me that you're a Joe kid, but not a Transformers kid, because me and all of my friends... We liked both. Like I, I was a Joe kid. Also, I, uh, I liked the toys more than I did the fiction. I found I thought the Joe cartoon was a little too goofy for my taste, and the comic, uh, the Marvel comic by uh, Larry Hama, was almost a little too over my head. 
Um, right. So, but but I love the toys. I mean, like the three and three quarter scale is is perfect action figure size, and you know with all the vehicles and the characters. Um, so I I was a huge GI Joe guy as far as the toys go. Now with Transformers. I, I went the opposite direction. Like I had a bunch of Transformers growing up. Um, you know, one of one of the great toy lines, uh, along with you know He Man and and a bunch of the others out there. But uh, what really gripped my interest was the fiction surrounding the Transformers. You know, the uh, the cartoon, the comic book. And then uh, kind of culminating in the movie we're going to talk about here, it's uh, kind of largely considered to be the the centerpiece of Generation 1 of the Transformers. Some might even argue that it's kind of like the centerpiece of like the whole Transformers franchise. But but yeah, no, I, I, was, I was into just about all of the major boys, toys, brands. Um, growing up, a lot of my toys kind of came from garage sales, yard sales, things like that. But, <laughs> but like you know, every once in a while, I would I would get something. I I would get stuff that was new, but most of it came from uh, uh, second hand. I uh, I just recently I I just recently celebrated uh, my birthday. I just turned forty two, and my uh, my aunt had found a picture from my sixth birthday, uh, which I I do remember very vividly. Um, I uh, it was it was a pretty good birthday for me. I got the uh, the B wing fighter, the Ewok Ooh. Village. I got the Ewok Village on that birthday that. as well. Yeah, that that thing ruled with like yeah. you know like the the hand crank and the and the and the net and uh, and the, and there was like a drop down feature too. There was like a trap door type of thing. It was it was yep. a cool playset. But I also got my first Transformers figure, and it was Soundwave. The uh, the guy that tape uh, changes into the tape deck and has the the really cool uh, Frank Welker uh, modulated voice, um, right. as as well as all of his uh, little cassette buddies, uh, his little minions. But um, so much so did that that uh, playing around with that figure. He's still my favorite character. Soundwave is uh, for Transformers, <laughs> and I, uh, you know, if you if you happen to uh, look at my Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever, it's all just Soundwave all the time. Just for some for some reason that that character has always just really stuck with me, and um, and, and I think that's part of the reason that the Transformers has kind of stuck with me. I I saw the cartoon. Uh, very early on as well, and there, there, there was just something about the gimmick of kind of two toys in one, where it's like, hey, this is a tape deck, but it's also a robot, and you know, cars, trucks, planes, <laughs> guns, <laughs> you know, stuff to where you you can get like a couple different uh, play values out of it. I I think was really really appealing, but I think the reason why. Uh, the Transformers toys didn't quite resonate me with me as much. Is the the scale was always wonky. So it's like you know I'm right. I'm tr- I'm trying to incorporate all of these toys together, and yeah, just the 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 scale was always weird because like like I had just mentioned, I was huge into GI Joe. Um, I I was huge into He Man also, but for whatever reason, that scale didn't bother me, and I I don't know if I can reconcile that at uh, <laughs> at the age of forty two. But yeah, for some reason, He Man hanging around with GI Joe was just fine, but Transformers hanging around with GI Joe that that didn't quite make sense. Maybe because they were. Supposed to be giant robots. I I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I went Star Wars to He-Man, He-Man to G.I. Joe, if I remember correctly. I always followed, like, one of my my best friends growing up who we had known each other since we were babies. He always kind of set the gate of what we were interested in. Uh And I do remember Transformers. He had a couple. It just wasn't something we went big into. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting you mentioned Soundwave being such your favorite because that's the one I remember being kind of like the 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 holy grail for me like that's the one i wanted i never got it but there yeah. was just something really cool about a transformer that then had these little minions in the form of cassette tapes that was yeah. just really cool to me mhm yeah i mean and that's what appealed to me also and you know really just kind of like his characterization as like the loyal lieutenant you know, it's like, it reminded me of Destro in a, in a lot of ways, you know, where it's like, you know, this guy knows what's up. And yeah, he's he's self-sufficient with his own army of uh, of little dudes. And I, I always thought that gimmick was was pretty appealing as well. I, I think part of the reason I didn't get into Transformers is when I expressed interest in Transformers, I ended up with GoBots. <laughs> sure, sure. I had my fair share of GoBots as well. And, you know, I, I think the thing that uh, kind of prevented a lot of folks from getting into Transformers is the price point. You know, yeah. um, Transformers were pretty expensive and and GoBots were more affordable. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so, yeah. So like I got a, like I mentioned, a lot of my stuff came from uh, garage sales, yard sales. But, yeah, I would get new GoBots relatively frequently. And and again, to you know bring it back to G.I. Joe, you know, the those were what, two, three bucks a pop, something like that back in the day. And right. And so yeah, I mean th- those became like easy stocking stuffers and and things like that. Whereas like, you know, it'd usually be like uh, a birthday or or a larger Christmas item or something like that. That that's when the the new boxed fancy Transformers would come out. Right. Yeah, I was G.I. Joe because, as you said, they were, I mean, they were, they were like two, three bucks. And occasionally I would get, you know, a play set or a vehicle or something. And then Christmas, I remember I got the G.I. Joe headquarters and another Christmas I got uh, the Technodrome. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah. <laughs> that thing. That thing was awesome. Now that that was I. I had a. I had the uh, Technodrome also. Uh, that the Terradrome also. I mean, and it. Oh yeah. It, it's it's one of those things. Like I. I don't know about you, but I was one of these one of these uh, uh, sneaky kids that would always like check out like my parents' closet and see what's going on. Uh, my uh, my aunt and my grandmother had found a terradrome at a again a garage sale and but since it was so big they didn't know where to put it so they so they <laughs> basically hid it in the garage right next to like this giant chest freezer and threw a blanket on top of it and i i remember this vividly because like i i wasn't explicitly going there to snoop and sneak even though that was something I did quite frequently, but I I remember I like they they sent me out into the garage to like you know get get like some frozen peas or something like that you know totally harmless. I I open up the freezer and the light from the freezer just happened to shine on where it was and the, like the blanket was turned up like just enough to where I just saw like the black base of it. 
something that was so innocuous to where it's like, but it's something that's very clearly a plastic toy. And <laughs> I, I remember this. I was like, I and I kind of slowly kind of lift it up, and then I see what it is. And I just, I just lose my mind to myself, and it's like, oh man, I gotta get these frozen peas back before anybody figures out what's going on. And <laughs> I, I don't remember when this was in comparison to when they gave it to me, because like when when you're a kid, time is eternal. So something right. that's like a few months, you know, it probably just feels like an eternity. But I remember like any time that I could, I'd sneak into the garage and like I, it had a had a little shuttle in the middle of it, the the firebat plane. And it has right. like a switch in it to where you could raise it up and down. And that's all I did with it because I didn't want to move it. I didn't want to mess with it. But I would go and I'm like, Shuttle goes up, shuttle goes down. Shuttle I'm like, "Oh, this is so cool." And then I would cover it back up. So like, so like the Christmas I got it, I'm pretty sure it was Christmas. I'm just like it was it was so weird because when I opened it up, basically like, you know, since it was so large, I think they just ended up kind of like putting wrapping paper around it. <laughs> so kind of like some like tissue paper and stuff, but I remember even like unwrapping it as as I did there was something about it to where even though I had been playing with this thing for for months on the sneak I still had that kind of like big surprise moment and I wasn't like trying to you know play to the crowd or whatever I was legit like oh my god this is so cool because like I could just I can I could enjoy it out out in the open and right. it was it was it was it, it it was still really cool. I uh that that's one of those ones, man, I wish I still had it because it was it was pretty cool. I mean, like the G.I. Joe play sets, I mean, to say nothing about the toys, um, I mean, or the action figures, I mean, um, even though the characters were incredibly colorful at well as well, but what I think really made the G.I. Joe line sing was the play sets. You know, it's oh, yeah. like you you've got little vehicles, you've got big vehicles, you've got giant play sets. Um I uh did did you know anybody that had the USS flag, the uh the aircraft no. character? Yeah, me I, I don't actually think that thing ever actually existed. I think it was just shown <laughs> in pictures. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I think like maybe the Rockefeller kids had that. But yeah, I never knew anybody that I knew I knew somebody that claimed that they had it. But it's like, well, hey, you know, bring bring a part from home or something like that. You know, bring the bring the admiral figure that comes with it. And they're like, uh, I left it at home. Yeah, sure you did, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's change gears from G.I. Joe to Transformers. We are talking this week about 1986's Transformers the movie, written by Ron Friedman, directed by Nelson Shin, starring Orson Welles, Robert Stack, Leonard Nimoy, Eric Idle, Peter Cullen, Frank Welker, and Judd Nelson. Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as Galvatron. And Orson Welles. I am Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. 
what a cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that that's interesting about this movie now, one of the things that we'll talk about throughout this whole conversation is how this movie is just a bizarre historical oddity. You know, and, and, and I mean, that's about the only way I could describe it. And, you know, full disclosure before we get too much further, this is a this is a huge nostalgia movie for me. Um, but more than anything, it's a movie that's that's been with me pretty much my entire life. And it is my favorite movie. Oh, man. <laughs> so if I have negative things to say about that, is that going to dash you or cause you to, to disconnect or run off crying or anything uh, like uh, that? Uh, 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 that seems to be something wrong with the communication. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's all good. It, it's all good because one one of the things up front is that objectively, this is not a good movie. Um, you know, it, it's convoluted. The the pacing is all over the place. You know, the, the production quality is uh, simultaneously brilliant and also shoddy. <laughs> it's uh, right. it, and, and, and incredibly incomprehensible. It's, you know, occasionally unapproachable. But um, but I, I love it. And and I think for me, one of the things that that. Uh, when we're talking about it as like this weird historical oddity, this artifact, this kind of cult classic, is you got to start with that celebrity voice cast because I think for me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first animated movie that advertised on Front Street the celebrity voice cast, like, oh man, and Judd Nelson as Hot Rod and Leonard Nimoy <laughs> as Galvatron. And, you know, like some of like the the um the older Disney films would have stars of the day uh doing right. uh doing voice acting, but it wasn't like it wasn't in the commercials, it wasn't on the poster, it wasn't part of the marketing, it was just kinda there. Um, whereas this, you know, it's, you know, it, it's basically a giant toy commercial and, yes. and that commercialism kind of starts with, you know, we're really pushing this, uh, this cast with these giant big names, um, attached. And that's just, um, I, I, I think that's one of the things that's, that's critical to the legacy of this movie. Yeah. All right. Well, I always start by asking, how do you describe this movie? How do you sell this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you convince them to see it? And, and I'll add to that question, especially in 2020, when Michael Bay has had his turn. He's done, what, five Transformer movies? There's been yep. the sixth one, if you include Bumblebee. So Transformers is still in the public consciousness and has been adapted into its own thing separately. How do you sell this movie to somebody? Well, honestly, I would say in 2020, it makes this movie easier to sell than it would have been prior to the Michael Bay movies, because one of the the, the main weaknesses of the Transformers, the movie as its own standalone piece is that it's not incredibly standalone. Like, you know, you need to kind of have a functional understanding of two years or at least the the beginning of the cartoon to kind of understand who these characters are, what their motivation is, and why why their conflict even matters. Like the the movie tries to kind of um, kind of set it up 
but they're also setting up like a time jump, you know, a 20 year time jump from the events of the cartoons. You know, those uh, those took place in 84, 85 and Transformers. The movie picks up in the far flung future of 2005, where the evil Decepticons have basically conquered the home planet of Cybertron and the Autobots, uh, the heroic Autobots are basically kind of on the run and hanging out on Earth while they're trying to strategize to consolidate their forces and and retake the planet from uh, the bad guys. That's that's basically the narration you get up front. And that's all you get. and, And you well, I don't even think you get that much up front. You know, because you just provided like two minutes of information that probably would have shaped how I watched this movie a little differently. Right. Well, and um, so, OK, so so a couple things there. One, you had asked me how I would sell this movie today. And right. basically my, my answer to that is that I would sell it as a historical artifact. Like, you know, look at the, the, uh, the crazy animation, the, the bonkers prog rock, heavy metal, synth heavy soundtrack, you know, oh, the, the, the wacky voice acting that, uh, that, you know, we already spoke about. So it's one of those things where I've said, like, you know, if, um, if you're, if you have any vague interest in this brand or characters and you didn't care for those Michael Bay movies and full disclosure I I like that first one okay and then it's a steep cliff after that and I got I got no patience for the rest of it so by the time Marky Mark Wahlberg shows up and starts cracking Bud Lights and, and just chugging them uh, uh, product placement style I'm I I punched out of those live action movies very very quickly and I think it's because I have so much nostalgia for this movie, but then also the early years of uh, the Transformers franchise as well. I just I, I didn't care for the, uh, the the characterization and the over sexualization. The, the thing that I can sell with Transformers, the movie is that there is no sequence where as a major plot point, somebody explains uh, Romeo and Juliet laws in Texas. Nobody has laminated cards in their pocket to to explain uh, their their, uh, their their affair. And and the and the live action movies are so um, large and bloated and long. Um, one of the even though the pacing is occasionally crazy with Transformers the movie. It clocks in at a brisk 86 minutes. You could watch this movie three times over in the time it would take you to watch uh, like, like the fourth or fifth one of the Michael Bay movies. So I, I would also sell folks on the scale. You know, I, I'm sure one of the things that we'll talk about is some of the inevitable comparisons with Star Wars. And I've 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 kind of uh, uh, said tongue in cheek that this is basically the Star Wars trilogy in 86 minutes. <laughs> I, I, I think about it, you know, it's like imagine if at the end of Star Wars, the X-Wing fighters are attacking the Death Star and instead of sending TIE fighters, the Death Star just turns over its shoulder, shifts into a giant robot and starts swatting away these uh, X-Wing fighters. That's kind of the scale of Transformers the movie. So. Yeah, it, it you know, to, to kind of hit on a couple of things that you've already mentioned, you know, it it does kind of require that knowledge of the, the animated series, which I, I didn't have going into this. 
And I have to admit, I found myself a little overwhelmed. The first 20, 25 minutes of this movie is this big battle between the Autobots and the Decepticons, mm-hmm. which, of course, I'm familiar with those just from growing up in the 80s and 90s. And, and then, of course, I have seen the Michael Bay movies. So I'm familiar with the conflict. But, like, I, I could read you some of the notes I took during that period, and they're a little strange. Um, because it's like it's this long going battle. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it literally is 20, 25 minutes, the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie. That's mm-hmm. just one huge battle. And I don't have the context of the fact that the Decepticons have taken over Cybertron. Uh, I, I, I even wrote down at one point, why aren't the Autobots more evenly matched? You would think since they're defending, they would have more defenders. They would have better defenses to hold up against Decepticons, especially. And mm-hmm. it just felt like they're getting overrun ridiculously. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And and since this movie is 34 years old, you know, next year will be its uh, 35th anniversary. So, you know, folks in the fandom have had that much time to kind of pick apart and kind of come up with their own, you know, fan theories about why things are. One of the more popular fan theories about why the Autobots are so easily defeated is there. there's a line uh, that Optimus Prime tells Ironhide before he sends him on the shuttle. He's like, well, I need you to make the special run to Earth. Um, and it's like, well, but but why? Uh, you know, we we want to start, you know, taking out these Decepticons. It's like we don't have enough energy to do that. I need you to go okay. to Earth to get energy so we can get powered up. The theory is that the Autobots were running so low on power. That's how those those poor poor souls get wasted in the shuttle so easily and then how their defenses kind of get seem to be overrun okay that that makes sense yeah i mean i i just so there's a a 20 year gap in between the animated series and this movie that's correct so and it's and it's one of those things that i think it's it's an this movie is marked by bold choices. And I think this is one of the first bold choices in that, like, you know, some of the other uh, licensed properties of the time, like say like, you know, GI Joe, the movie, or even my little pony or care bears, rainbow bright, whatever. Most of those movies that would carry the title colon, the movie are just really kind of like extended episodes. Whereas with transformers, the movie it truly has a cinematic feel to it in that it's, you know, the the first act of the movie is really kind of like tying off all of the season one and season two characters before kind of seeding the story to the new characters. But the um, the thing that, that makes that work is that um, you have this time jump where you can have all of these new characters that presumably had been introduced some other time during the the interceding 20 years or whatever. It, it's, it's just like a narrative trick, I think, to where you can bring in all of these bizarre concepts like, you know, junk planets and, and you know, like <laughs> five-faced demons with their own twisted sense of, uh, you know, judicial systems. And, oh, my you know, God. You know, to where, where you, can, you can bring in the, these bonkers, bonkers crazy sci-fi concepts at a time where the main cartoon was really kind of like, what's the MacGuffin of the week and what scheme are the bad guys going to do to try to drain the Earth of its precious 
purchase resources and get energy. So it really kind of like it pushes the narrative forward in a big, bad way. So if there's a 20 year gap, then I, I feel even more confused about these human characters that were introduced to in the film. Um, sorry, Spike. Yes. Uh, and his son, Dano or Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. D- Dano's not old enough to have been around 20 years ago. So I'm assuming he's a new character. And if that's the case, he's his introduction is a brisk one at best. Quite so. And, and again, that, that kind of unfortunately leads to kind of like the lack of approachability. And one thing now, it is interesting, though, at a time where we're in kind of like a Marvel Cinematic Universe era where everybody needs an origin story and everybody needs like an entire movie. I feel like if this movie was made today, there would be an entire movie um, explaining where Daniel comes from. Oh, I agree. Um, and but but there is also something to be said about just kind of throwing folks in in the deep end. So like when when I went to go see this movie when I was seven years old, you know, I you know, I was watching the 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 weekday afternoon cartoon and, you know, I, I get this this little bit of narration. I hear this, you know, far flung future of 2005. We've got spaceships and hoverboards. So it's like I see the this kid, this Daniel. I'm like, who is this guy? You know, I saw Spike earlier and and Spike was the was the the kind of uh, um, child identification character. You know, he was he was a teenager during the cartoon and that was kind of like who you're supposed to identify with, you know, kind of like as like an older brother type of thing. And they show that he's grown up and become an adult. And so you could see that readily. So I'm like, oh, oh, Spike's a Spike's a man now. He's an adult. And so I I think Daniel is supposed to be about uh, 12 so he's he's not a teenager like Spike was in in the series, but um, but he is supposed to be around twelve. So presumably, again, it's that in between time where since we have a time jump, we don't necessarily have to explain it. You just kind of accept it that that that's that's who Daniel is and that's where he comes from. Okay, uh, yeah, I mean, that's I just I felt like I was missing something. Like, oh, these must be human characters that are from the TV show, and I just don't have a bond with them. Because yeah. I'm not familiar with that, but it sounds like I'm only half right that you had a bond with Spike, um, but not with Dano. He really is just abruptly thrown into this cinematic world yep. uh, the way that he is in this movie. <laughs> a- absolutely. And and just like all of the new characters that we're introduced to, they, ju- they just show up. Well, and that was part of my problem with the first half hour is not only is it this huge epic battle, but it felt like they were throwing in as many name checks as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Optimus Prime saying, you three go there. It's Optimus Prime saying, name number one, name number two, name number three, go over there and do this. Check Mm -hmm. on someone, name number four. You know, it just it felt like they were throwing every name in. And part of me wondered how much of that was for the fans of the TV show who are now seeing this movie and how much of that was so they could make toys with these characters. Well, and I think that's, that's what we need to kind of unpack a little bit here because as we said before, this is a commercial for toys and what, so what Hasbro did uh, was something incredibly bold and so bold that it backfired and they never did it again. So like, you know how in uh, other toy properties, you'll, be introduced to new characters for toys for you to buy. 
Transformers was no different, you know, between 84 and 85. They added uh, new characters as they went, but they decided to do something a little different with the 1986 line of characters. So like, you know, Hot Rod and Cup and Ultra Magnus and, you know, uh, more or less the quote unquote new characters that that you spend from the end of the second act through the end of the movie with. Um Basically, instead of just introducing these new characters for you to buy toys of, they kill off all of the old characters, more or less forcing you to buy, or at least theoretically, uh, forcing you to buy the new characters. Oh man, Optimus Prime is now super dead, so now I need to get this Hot Rod figure. You know, and, I need and that's, to get... I, I'm going to pause you there, because that's one of the things I knew about this movie, Okay, um, was that the, the emotional impact of Optimus Prime dying, and like everybody I know who was a Transformers kid, because, because in my circle of friends, you weren't both, which I found it really interesting you said at the beginning, your friends are both. In mm-hmm. My circle of friends, you were a Transformers kid or you were a G.I. Joe kid. And all the people I knew who grew up as Transformers kids, like this movie emotionally impacted them because of the death of Optimus Prime. And like, I know even when Michael Bay's first movie came out and they and or is it the second one? I don't remember whichever one they kill him in Mm -hmm. um, that people complained that the cartoon had more impact. Yeah. And yet I didn't feel that big a connection now it could be again i don't have the nostalgia that you have mm-hmm. but especially because of the the horrible music that is in the backdrop of this film i never made that emotional connection when optimus prime died yeah i i think it's one of those things and i think that's why that sequence doesn't work in the in the michael bay movie it is the second one by the way a uh, revenge of the fallen it's because you've only spent like one one and a half movies with this Optimus Prime character, this version, this iteration of him. Whereas we, you know, folks that had been kind of fans from day one had spent a lot of time with him, you know, because the Transformers cartoon was in syndication at that point. So it was on every weekday afternoon. So even (laughs) even if there were new episodes or not, you know, season two has like four, 49 50 episodes so it's it it was just in constant rotation plus with the comic books and the other um ancillary medias and other merchandise tie-ins more or less you couldn't get away from optimus prime and to where you know you really related with him or 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 at least were exposed to him in a way that like i don't i don't think any of the other uh, franchises really accomplished. I mean, I think the closest thing to that would be uh, maybe He-Man, you know, uh-huh. somebody that was like like a title character. But I think Optimus Prime was as close to the title character in terms of recognition. And I, th- I think that's what it was, is like, you know, and, and plus, you know, Peter Cullen's voice delivery, you know, his characterizations uh, uh, during the, uh, during the cartoon. It's, he, he's a very, um noble and likable character one one of yes. the one of the the things that that Peter Cullen is most famously quoted for is he took inspiration for Optimus Prime's voice from his brother who uh served in Vietnam and and he was talking about the role and his brother said you don't want to play it like John Wayne like like a over the top super heroic type of thing he's like um you want to be strong enough to be gentle. And oh. 
And there is a a gentleness to Peter Cullen's delivery. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm currently watching the the second season of the cartoon again, and there there are times where uh, Optimus Prime makes mistakes and admits those mistakes and, you know, occasionally has a sense of humor about himself. There's a sequence where he's playing basketball with some of the other robots and things like that. <laughs> so so there there was there was like a gentleness and humor uh, to the character where even here in this movie now this this is also kind of something up for debate as well, because, you know, as, as we know, Peter Cullen did return to reprise the role of Optimus Prime in the in the Michael Bay movies. But more or less, the way that the character is written is kind of how Prime is portrayed here in the movie. Now, I I would submit that this version of Optimus Prime that we see, keeping in mind the 20 year time jump he's kind of war weary and he's kind of had enough. So like when he shows up on earth to save the day, you know, and he says things like Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost. And he calls him out. One shall stand, one shall fall. That's, that's the culmination of their shared history. And it's like, now it's time to end things. I, I've right. had enough of this conflict. And I, I think the folks that, that made the Michael Bay movies kind of took that that one sequence where Prime is just mowing through the entire Decepticon army single-handedly. They used that as the template for his characterization in the live-action movies, which... I'm, without- I'm glad you said that because I don't... I, I like Optimus Prime as he's presented here, even though he's only in you know, 20, 25 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But I felt like Peter Cullen's performance aside, because I absolutely agree with you, his voice is phenomenal and he does bring heart to the character. But I felt like the character as a whole was kind of an asshole in the Michael Bay movies. Yeah. And, and, and homicidal. You know, if there, yeah. if there was if there was a face to be torn off, you know. Yeah, you know, just very violent, bloodthirsty, and yeah, just not a nice guy. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because it, I feel like I didn't read it wrong. Um, I, I mean, I will admit with the Michael Bay movies, I, I saw the first three. Uh-huh. I think I may have seen the fourth one, but it was so forgettable that I don't even remember it. And I remember the first one I was met on. The second one I actually kind of liked more, and the third one just was like I was. I was so um, numb to the yeah. amount of explosions and effects by the end of it. It was just, I was done with it. That That's the perfect way to put it is, is numb. And again, that's the one thing that I, one of the things that I enjoy about this animated movie is that, you know, it gets in and out quick enough before that numbness sets in. Cause you, could you imagine two and a half hours of this animated assault <laughs> with the music and all, I mean, like the music is wall to wall. There, there is terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it is it is so bad and then randomly in the middle of it they throw in Weird Al. Yeah, well and it's interesting. So so the the story behind the Weird Al song is all of the the uh rec- all of the artists on the soundtrack were uh Scotty Brothers records uh artists. And okay. and one of them was Weird Al. So basically, you know, you have um, this record label, Scotty Brothers, Brothers, that was putting out 
the soundtrack and they're just like well let's just use our stable of musicians so you get like a a weird canadian heavy metal band called kick axe that that their name is just so violent that they uh on the soundtrack they're listed as a band called specter general instead <laughs> and, and and then you have a weird weird al song thrown in there um and and it's weird though and i think it's because i'm i'm too close to it but i i contend that thematically the weird al song dare to be stupid actually works in the sequence that it's thrown in because like you're on this weird junk planet with all these these crazy mad max motorcycle uh people and it just between like the vibe and even like the the nonsensical lyrics kind of speak to the the nonsensical uh, uh perspective of this this scene and this planet that that the characters are on i i think it works until the point that hot rod and the others show up and then they have a giant dance party to dare to be stupid for like 30 seconds yeah you know you're not wrong i won't fight you on that <laughs> Why is Jamie Lannister such a compelling character? What is the best time machine from a movie? Why did Michael Scott need three vasectomies? To find out the answer to all these questions and so much more, check out a podcast about something. Each week on a podcast about something, we dive deep into whatever we find interesting. From movies and TV to sports and paranormal, we explore it all. Listen and subscribe to a podcast about something on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Twitter at APA something or check out our website, apodcastaboutsomething.com. And always stay classy. All right, so let me let me grab the critical reviews real quick because we've kind of skirted past that. Um, not that, that they have a ton to add because I think we've kind of talked about a lot of what they what I wanted to bring from them. Uh, yeah, it sits sure. at fifty eight percent at Rotten Tomatoes uh, with an eighty eight percent audience score. So I feel like there's your representation of nostalgia right there. That the critics didn't really like it, but eighty eight percent of the audience loves it because of nostalgia. Um, the positive review comes from Ben Walters from Time Out. Uh, who writes, this feature-length battle royale drops you in at the deep end. Unless you have the perfect recall of the TV show, the opening half hour is a bewildering barrage of unfamiliar characters and ongoing plot set against an unceasing stream of shootouts and explosions. Mm -hmm. No sooner have the dastardly Decepticons laid waste to the heroic Autobots' home base than a planet-gobbling colossus, voiced sadly by Orson Welles, threatens the whole lot of them. From here, the film actually unfolds in a reasonably engaging manner. One dramatically sophisticated sequence contrasts the goodies and baddies responses to their leaders respective demises stands out and we've kind of already talked about a lot of that yeah on the negative side karen james of the new york times writes the film moves faster features a rock style score and has more complicated animation these robots transform in a flash the colors are shocking pinks and electric greens the film is packed with one-to-one -one combat large-scale battles and exploding planets despite these improvements though the movie is not for anyone to too grown up while all this action may captivate young children the animation is not spectacular enough to dazzle adults and the transformers have few truly human elements to lure parents along even when their voices are supplied by well-known actors 
Leonard Nimoy is the evil Galvatron, Robert Stack is the Autobot's short-lived leader Ultra Magnus, and Orson Welles is Unicron. To adults, it may seem like a cruel joke that in his last movie role, Mr. Welles portrayed an entire planet, but then it sounds less like Mr. Welles than it does any deep and echoing voice. You know, it's interesting. I I would almost say that the negative review is almost the more positive one because that that's the <laughs> because that's the appeal of this movie you know it's colorful it's loud it's exciting and i i do i do want to touch on the the uh, orson welles thing because um one it's it, it's one of those things like if you want to own bar trivia you know and you you say like well what what was orson welles's last role you know, I mean, folks would you know probably mention a number of things, but nobody, unless they're of that generation, that age group, and had that particular experience, would ever pull Transformers the movie as Orson Welles's last role. Right. But but I would say to that though, for folks my age, with um, you know, I I wasn't mature for sophisticated enough yet to really put two and two together on who these voice actors were and why they were significant. Like, I think the only thing I could really latch on to was uh, Leonard Nimoy uh, because I was into Star Trek. So it's like I knew that, that you know, he was Mr. Spock. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, I think this is kind of like a gateway of sorts for folks to look at some of these folks' other work. So, like, for example, this was my introduction to Orson Welles. So, later on, as I got a little older, you know, I I start learning about, you know, War of the Worlds and, you know, all of the things that Orson Welles did on radio and and then Citizen Kane later. And so, for me, that was always that touchstone. It's like, oh, wait a sec, he was the monster planet in Transformers the movie, but it, <laughs> it, it opened up my eyes and kind of gave me a new perspective to, you know, look at some of these, look at it from that angle. Like, you know, I, I hadn't seen anything from Monty Python, but you know, um, as I got older, I'm like, Oh, Eric Idle. Yeah. He was, he was Rekgar, the, the, uh, uh, junkie on leader guy. And, and, and to say nothing about unsolved mysteries with Robert Stack. So it's like, even now I, um, whenever I watch unsolved mysteries, I just hear ultra Magnus. And, (laughs) and so, yeah, so it, so it's left that impression on me. And, and it's kind of weird how, how things have kind of like, you know, uh, inverted and, and influenced itself because like you get to the Bumblebee movie and the, and there's more than a couple just straight out breakfast club uh, references, you know, where, where (laughs) Bumblebee is pumping his fist, you know, Bender style, like, you know, like Judd Nelson there. So it's, it's, it's weirdly self-referential, but yeah, for me, it was, you know, with having these voice actors so prominently featured, it kind of opened up my mind to, um, the other stuff that these folks were working that I don't, I don't know if I would have, uh, found it otherwise. I, I, I would like to think I would have found Citizen Kane eventually, but, um, but I, I found it, far sooner um, because of Transformers the movie. Yeah, I I have to give credit to Leonard Nimoy in particular um, because, you know, I mean, I know him from 
all kinds of stuff, especially Star Trek. But, you know, I've, I've heard his voice acting in other things, and I felt like he did an exceptional job here. Yeah. I had no idea that he took over the, the role of the villain. I just always knew Megatron was Frank Welker, and suddenly it's like, oh, it's now Galvatron instead mm-hmm. of Megatron, and it's now Leonard Nimoy. That's really interesting. I didn't mm-hmm. recognize Judd Nelson watching it this time. I recognized everybody else. But there was no way I was going to pull Bender out of a hat there. Um, (laughs) So this paves the way to the animated series. It's kind of a stopgap in between the first two seasons and then later on. Does Leonard Nimoy continue voicing Galvatron for the animated series? No. In fact, the only voice actor that carries over into season three of the show. So, So season two ends... And then you have the movie with the 20-year time jump. And then season three picks up fall of 1986. And it's still in that same time frame. So you have Rodimus Prime, Ultra Magnus, Cup, Springer. Uh, The only uh, celebrity voice actor that carried over into the third season was uh, uh, John Mashita, the uh, the Micro Machines guy who voiced Blur. Which Um, I hated that character. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason why he's not in it a lot. (laughs) But it was like, uh, I get the gimmick. I get it really quickly. Let's not do it again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, most of the the other roles were uh, were filled by, you know, sound alikes. And 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 in in an interesting turn, uh, you had mentioned that Frank Welker had voiced Megatron and basically that character is replaced by Leonard Nimoy's. Galvatron, when you get to season three of the cartoon, Frank Welker then comes back and voices Galvatron. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I I am not. And, and with uh, without getting too much into the lore of season three, but basically what happens is after being uh, expelled out of Unicron at the climax of the movie, uh, Galvatron ends up in a uh, volcanic tar pit on the planet of Cha'ar and loses his mind. So basically, Frank Welker comes back and does kind of like an insane version of uh, of Leonard Nimoy's take. You know, Nimoy is you know very sinister and very you know very earnest and very serious. Magnus, I want the Matrix. Whereas Frank Welker is more higher pitched and like I'm crazy now. It, it's almost more like uh, uh, Skeletor than uh, than Megatron. It's 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 a very interesting take on the character, but it's but yeah, Frank Welker comes back and and fills Nimoy's shoes. <laughs> that's 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 absolutely bizarre that you would replace an actor with another one for the movie and then bring the original actor back like that that i i can't even imagine that conversation going on of hey frank uh, i know we just got rid of you but uh, you want to come back and do the part again just with a different voice <laughs> well I, I tell you what though i mean that's par for the course for mr welker because you know in those live action movies you got hugo weaving uh, portraying the voice of Megatron. And I think by my movie three or four, I don't remember which one, Hugo Weaving had had enough and wanted to move on to different roles. So who would you imagine that they get to voice Megatron after, uh, after Hugo Weaving left the franchise? Are you serious? None other than Frank Welker. Oh my God. I wish the, I was joking. And I'm sure the fanboys went nuts over that. I somehow missed that. Yeah, it's... It's, it, it it's a it's a fascinating franchise that's all i could say so i do want to mention the animation cuz the one of the reviews did kind of touch on it i yes. was i was impressed with the animation quality of this it's not quite 
Disney caliber in its complexity, but mm-hmm. like the backdrops in particular are quite gorgeous. And oh. then the the like the foreground animation, like the characters are a little more simplistic in the way that they're created. But overall, for for something that you know is is based on a a Saturday morning cartoon, uh-huh. this is really impressive. Yeah, I mean th- those uh, background paintings you could just stare at for hours. Like you could pause a frame of the film and just endlessly drink in the details. Like you know, uh, Shout Factory just recently did a Blu-ray restoration for uh, the 30th anniversary, and watching that, this is a movie I've watched for over 30 years, and I saw details in the animation and in the backgrounds that I had never seen before. Um, you know, that had been in the hand-drawn animation that had been there the whole time, uh, but time and tide had just kind of, you know, just kind of uh, uh, faded them. But it, it's it, it's amazingly detailed. And, you know, it, in no other sequence than the transformation sequence from uh, Megatron to Galvatron. Yes, I mean, with I mean, the you, wireframe. Yeah, I mean, you, you could watch that forever and just see, like, all of the intricate details. Now, and, and I've, I've said this in other places, but I I've, I've said that in a way Transformers the movie can be kind of like a gateway to more sophisticated animation. You know, you can you there, there's kind of a clear path to uh, anime and I'm Akira is only two years away after this. So if you've watched Transformers the movie, you're kind of ready for Akira. Um, now that that movie blows your hair back in in spectacular other ways, but I, I remembered seeing like some of those more advanced animation techniques that were certainly what what I would say more cinematic and less Saturday morning cartoon as as you were saying. Now that said, I would also say that the animation is at times a mixed bag. Like there's uh, there's all kinds of animation errors, there's coloring errors, mm-hmm. and you you can tell where. As I said, like you know, it goes from from stunning to absurd, just in in terms of uh, the juxtaposition there. And so I I would imagine it would come from just trying to rush this thing into into theaters. You know, one one of the uh, commercial spots says two years in the making, and a animated feature film on this scale. Yeah, if you want if you want that out in two years. You know, you're going to cut corners. You, you're going to cut corners, and you're going to try to, uh, um, yeah, you, you're going to try to uh, make those choices and get it out as soon as you can. Okay, so we're we're running late on time, but I want to make sure that I get this in because you touched on it so early on. Mm-hmm. Um, you you mentioned this kind of being the the Star Wars connection to this. Yes. Well, I mean there there's. Um, there, there's a few obvious cues. You know, it's like a a planet that um, that explodes other planets. Um, hot yeah, up. it kind of a preface to Star Killer Base, isn't it? <laughs> it? Very much so. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's one of those things where you know I see these things as an adult. And I'm like, hey, wait a sec. Um, but you know, I y- you've got um, at one point you've got different characters with just straight up lightsabers. Um, you, you, you have, uh, you have a, uh, combat droid that, you know, that, that hot rod is, is practicing on, which could be a callback to the training drone. Um, hot rod himself. Yeah. That was one of those little details that I had written down of like, how do you have this whole society of robots and yet you somehow have one that's not developed enough so that they can use it for sparring. 
Oh, that see, that's an interesting perspective. Um, because yeah, it's like, is it is it subjugated? Is like right. yeah, what what are we doing here? I never thought of that before. That's I, I'm I'm gonna take that and think of it because you see other sophisticated um uh robotic organisms like you know when you're on the Quinnison planet with like you know all all of like the fish and the sharkticons and the alligators and you see them you know early in the movie with uh uh the people at the uh at at the space mall uh what are they what are they drinking what do robots drink that's what (laughs) one of the questions i had to ask you um are, are, are people drinking yeah they have drinks at one point (laughs) <laughs> oh, I may have missed that. Oh, yeah. Oh, so like, I, I think, I think it's, um, um, they're like chemical compounds because I, I think I remember what you're talking about now at the beginning of the movie when yes. they see the coming of Unicron. He, he's, um, he's bailing the the beakers back and forth. He's like mixing chemicals. I, I, I don't, I don't know if he's drinking it, but, but if it was, it would be some kind of like, I don't know, Energon juice or something. I, I don't really know. <laughs> it, it's a stupid. I, I mean, I, that's the kind of questions I write down. I was like, Autobots fishing, and then later, you know, you have the planet, as you said, where the little the shark things yeah. are there, and I was like, oh well, it makes sense that Autobots would fish then. I, I I do like that gag though, where you know Hot Rod pulls the fish out of the water, and uh, uh, Daniel's like, "Whoa, look at the size of it!" And it's you know it's a tiny fish dwarfed by this giant robot. And he's like, "Yep, it's a whopper, all right." I just I still chuckle at that. I still I I think it's a good visual gag. Oh, I agree. I agree. And uh, you get a uh, kind of forward callback because we were still talking about Star Wars connections a little bit. Um, you know in uh, Phantom Menace you have the there's always a bigger fish you see that first here in Transformers the movie because you see like giant fishes eating other smaller fishes and again this thing is just rotten with references that you could just examine for hours and hours well and like the fish really weirded me out like I almost felt like I needed to be high watching that scene because they're like giant mechanical fish but the smaller fish looked organic yeah, it's it's very bizarre. Again, and it's, then like, and then I had to ask like, with the Dinobots, what would be the advantage of transforming into a herbivore? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, uh, size and strength, I suppose. Even though their size and strength didn't really help them against Devastator much. No, no, it didn't. All right, before we move into the uh, final games here, is there anything you specifically wanted to talk about with this movie that we haven't covered yet? Oh, my gosh. Um, a, a couple random references. You know, uh, we talked about the character of Spike a little bit. And one of, one of the things I'd like to say is, you know, again, th- this, is, this is a movie that has been with me pretty much my whole life. I saw it when I was seven years old. It was the first movie I went to go see by myself. My mom dropped me off at the theater and gave me enough money to be able to buy my own popcorn and Dr. Pepper and Red Vines. And and it was just, it was like this weirdly empowering experience for me. Um, so I think that's kind of what latched onto that nostalgia. But then just as the movie unfolded, it just blew me away. Like I, you know, just between the, the, the sensory assault that this movie is between like the colors <laughs> and the sound and everything, it, it leaves a lasting impression. Um, you know, like in the way that like folks that, that were seven years old when they saw star Wars, you know, it, it was that kind of impression that, 
um, that it left on me. But, you know, we were talking about the the uh, human characters earlier. You got you got um, young Daniel and his father, Spike. Spike has always been kind of like the, the character you're supposed to identify with. And what I've grown to see is that Spike is still the character you want to identify with in that, like, he grew up, but he didn't grow out of Transformers. So, he, so I, I thought that was kind of weirdly analogous as I, as I'm reflecting on it, um, uh, past 40. Um, one thing, one thing I'm going to throw in, this is kind of like for, um, I guess advanced viewers, folks that have seen this, uh, a number of times, think of, think of the first act of Transformers, the movie as, as a war movie. Right. So like you have like, you know, like a World War Two saving Private Ryan type of thing. And imagine that at the culmination of the first act, you've wiped out the generals and command staff of both armies and the remaining characters have to spend the remainder of the movie kind of trying to do their own growth journey and trying to figure themselves out. Um, it's something I've, I've heard in a couple different places, and it was one of those things I hadn't thought of on my own, but once I heard it, it really crystallized for me. See, I think that should have been your answer to the how do you sell this to someone who hasn't seen it. <laughs> it's, it's taken us an hour to get an answer to the first question, but that's that's brilliant. That I, yeah. I like that idea. Yeah, and I, I can't take credit for that. That's not my original thought. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard it from uh, J.C. Reifenberg, who owns the Scum and Villainy Cantina. Um, oh, okay. And, and I've I've also heard it from uh, Movie Bob, I think, he uh, on uh, on YouTube. So I've you know I. It's 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 kind of like one of those more intellectual perspectives my my perspective usually just skews towards nostalgia so like when somebody comes up with something like legit insightful it uh, it gets my attention so i i did want to make sure i mention it here but for me it's it's a movie that i keep coming back to so like for example i'm a kid and it and it just stuck with me but i found that like even in like my 20s and 30s i i find myself identifying with characters more so than i did when i was younger so like, you know, there's times that I identify with Cup, the the curmudgeon old man that has a story <laughs> for everything and has seen everything and is kind of a grump. I, I've identified with Ultra Magnus, you know, somebody that has been thrust into a leadership position that he's not ready for and is not prepared for and ultimately fails, you right. know, and, and there. So I, I think some of the quote unquote adult characters were kind of written up. And and really that's kind of like the mission statement of this movie is, you know, don't talk down to kids. You know, it's just, it's straight across that this, this movie was meant to be kind of marketed for older kids and teenagers. There's a reason why there's so much violence. There's a reason why they're swearing in it. They wanted that PG PG rating so that they could get more screenings and later screenings. None of this worked. The movie was a huge bomb and a and a critical failure. But I think the reason why it's become kind of a cult classic and a touchstone for folks like us is because of all of these bizarre, bold choices that that would not ne- wouldn't happen today. You can't make Transformers the movie today. Um right. So yeah, I mean that's that that that's kind of that's kind of my piece on the on the legacy of the movie, I suppose. Okay. 
All right, we're going to move into the end credits here. First up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is a list of various things that you, in theory, will like because you like the Transformers, the movie. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of a lightning round of your responses. You like this. You don't like this. Uh, you don't see how it's connected. There's none of that there. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right, first up, G.I. Joe, the movie. Sure. Um I don't remember G.I. Joe the movie as vividly as I do Transformers the movie, but I, I totally see why that checks out. That's probably the closest thing to this. Yeah, I was reading trivia that uh, originally the plan was to kill Duke in G.I. Joe the movie, but mm -hmm. because of the response they got from this, from killing Optimus Prime, they instead put him in a coma. And if that movie, which started development first, yes. had come out first, Optimus Prime might have lived. Absolutely. All right, that's it for movies that the algorithm recommends based on the Transformers the movie. But we do have a list of TV shows that the various algorithms say you will like because of this. Okay. All right, X-Men. The, the 90s one? Yes. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, action-packed, bright, colorful, totally. I need to revisit it. It's on Disney Plus, and I haven't watched it. I have I have fond memories of it. I'm afraid I will hate some I, of the characters now. I, I, I would say... Tread lightly with your nostalgia. Um, it's you know it, it's fun, but it ain't no Batman the animated series in terms of timelessness. It's right, it, and it's okay for something to be of its time. Like like again, taking it back to Transformers the movie. It's like it's it's a movie that firmly exists in the world of 1986, and that's kind of okay. But yeah, so X Men is very much a product of the '90s. So, but tread lightly. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, he Man. Uh, sure. I mean, just in terms of uh, boys, you know, uh, uh, focused properties. Um, I like me some He Man. Sure. Okay. Transformers Beast Hunters. Beast Hunters. Um, I, I just write them down, man. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I know what that is. Huh. Okay. Uh, Voltron. Oh, sure. Um, you know, and, and that could go for the current Netflix uh, iteration, the legendary defender, or even like the old school thing. You know, you, you have combining uh, robot lions and, you know, that's, I mean, it, it, it's transforming robots. Okay. Dino core. Dino core. I have no idea what that is. I had never heard of it either. So Transformers Prime. Transformers Prime is I I haven't watched any of it. I have been told by my younger friends in the fandom that it's really quite good, but I I, I haven't watched any of it. Okay, Mask. <laughs> Mask was awesome because uh, I mean it's really if you think about it, you know let's let's go all the way back to where we started. We started talking mostly about GI Joe. I think Mask really is kind of like the missing link between GI Joe and Transformers. In that, with some like, Mission Impossible thrown in, absolutely. Yeah, that's a property that's due for a revival. Uh, yeah, I've been waiting for it. the The toys for Mask I didn't care for, but I loved the cartoon on that one. Yep. Uh, Thundercats. Oh, sure. Yeah. And again, it, that's in the same category as, you know, He-Man and, you know, you may as well throw in, you know, Silverhawks and Tiger Sharks and, and, <laughs> and, and, and that as well, because really all three of those were the same show. <laughs> all right. And lastly, Mini Force X. Mini Force X. I no clue. Okay. 
All right. Lastly, we always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Number one, the band that performs Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way and Hunger is listed on the credits as Spectre General due to concerns over their real name not being family friendly enough. What was the band's real name? Oh man, I feel I feel bad for spoiling this earlier. I already nah, mentioned it's all good. A kickaxe, B soundbite sex, C slap into bass, or D robot vaginas. <laughs> I got composed myself for a sec. Those I I appreciate the effort and time it took you to craft those alternates, but it is indeed kick-axe. <laughs> and I appreciate you letting me read these because a yeah. lot of times people know the answer, they just jump in. <laughs> All right, number two. Famously, this was Orson Welles' last film before his death, which we talked about. It was also the final film for what other actor who participated in the movie? A, Don Mezick, B, Christopher Collins, C, Scatman Crothers, or D, Judd Nelson? <laughs> Throw me off with that last one there. It is Scatman Crothers. He uh, he voiced jazz. Yes, it is Scatman Crothers. And I liked that depiction of jazz a lot better than the Michael Bay movies, I gotta oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, number three, an abandoned script idea saw what major force come to the defense of Cybertron in the battle against Unicron? A, Galvatron's cannon grown to huge size by the Matrix. B, a fused combination of Galvatron and Rodimus Prime. C, a united Cybertron army composed of both sides in unity, or D, Cybertron itself converted to robot form. Wow. That, that is a deep cuts uh, question. I, I am going to go with D, uh, Cybertron uh, uh, com- uh, turning into a robot. Absolutely right. Yep. Cybertron itself, that was a script idea, and it was apparently also an idea that was brought up in the comic books uh, those ideas were brought up completely independently. Yeah, and and they ended up doing a Cybertron as a robot. Uh, that that trope later on in in later series uh, where it's the the Transformers God Primus. Yes, there you go. All right, and lastly, despite participating in the film, Orson Welles was not a fan of the project or the final product. When asked about it, he could not even remember his pivotal character's name, but instead described him how. A, a planet devourer. B, a planet-sized mistake. C, a big toy who attacks a bunch of smaller toys. Or D, something, 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 frozen peas. (laughs) And uh, uh, Carlo Rossi wanted to go with it. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I would give anything to hear that interview to have like audio or video of it um the the answer is c where where it's like you know i'm i'm a i'm a larger toy that menaces other toys i'm a planet called something or something i uh, <laughs> I, I i menace them and and i tear myself apart <laughs> yep that's right he is a big toy who attacks a bunch of smaller toys so there you go oh my gosh all right so man where can people find you what do you want to promote All right, you can listen to my podcast pretty much everywhere that you listen to this podcast. Uh, My show is called Mike Seibert Radio. The spelling on that is S-E-I-B-E-R-T, just like it sounds. Uh, You can uh, follow me on the social medias. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at 
Mike Seibert Radio with uh, with that same spelling. I do kind of like a, a pop culture show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind. Um, I do uh, <laughs> interviews with independent artists. I've talked to comic book creators, uh, musicians, other podcasters. It's a it, it's very much a open format. Uh, kind of pop culture show where we just celebrate everything that's cool. And over over the last few years, as I found myself more and more in the Transformers fandom, which is another story for another day, it, it has had more of a Transformers focus. So if you liked this episode and want to hear me talk more about the Transformers franchise and more about Transformers the movie because we, we've barely scratched the surface. We could talk for <laughs> hours about this and and I have and will continue to. But anyway, my show is Mike Seibert Radio. Uh, check it out. Thanks thanks for having me. Th- this was a ton of fun. Oh, thanks for coming on. This is, you know, I, I, I can't say I really enjoyed the movie because <laughs> it just wasn't, I mean, you're, you're saying it's nostalgia based and it's not in my nostalgia, Yeah. but talking with you about it and feeling your passion from this side of the microphone really has made it worth it. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it's been a blast chatting with you. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about the Transformers, the movie, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode... The grave of the devil is disturbed by the plow. The satanic essence of evil wreaks violent and revolting revenge. But it weren't human, sir. There were fur. Then it was an animal's remains. It were more like some fiend. And the evil grows quickly, attacking first the youth of the village and making them the devil's children. Half, look, look. Oh, God, I prayed I'd never see that again. Yes, we're finally getting some spooky in for Halloween. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Mike Seibert for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>